Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have got a great show for you. He's posted wins over Francis Tiafo, Taylor Fritz, and John Isner. As a junior, he was six in the world, and he won Junior Wimbledon. As a pro, he's been as high as 125, and while freak accidents have kept him from cracking the top 100, he soldiers on. Long Island's finest, Noah Rubin, is going to give us his take on the pros and cons of college tennis. Tell us about his Behind the Racket Instagram project, and he's going to tell us about the issue in tennis that has literally made him call the police. We met up with Noah in his backyard at the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island, New York. We are at the New York Open, and we're doing our three-set active player format. This is On the Court with Craig Shapiro, and as always, I am Craig Shapiro. Well, first of all, um, we're at the Nassau Coliseum. Um, We're in the underground I can't even, I couldn't even venture a guess what this could be most of the time. They've turned it into a, no, what is this? This is a... a, a, a an expo of such. An expo, <laughs> a tennis expo. Yes, I mean, I've been here my whole life and I can't tell you what this, you know, part it's of the cool, building is. It's cool, man. There's guys stringing rackets. You can get a coffee. You got this Ninja Warrior course behind you. got Ninja. You. <laughs> Riley Opelka's on the court. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, you're here is Noah Rubin. Uh, Noah, what's your ranking right now? Uh, I think I'm about 145 in the world, you know. Noah Rubin grinding, man. Now you're from right here. 12 minutes away from this uh, Coliseum, you know, coming to Islanders games my whole life here. Now they're back, so that's exciting. But yeah, just right but around the corner. You weren't even born when they were good. I was not, but they are playing pretty unbelievably well right now, and hopefully they keep that up. This is the New York Open. Noah, uh, unfortunately, lost his match uh, and is telling us now that uh, you think you have some uh, some shoulder uh, situation. Yeah, um, you know, about <laughs> during a doubles match, of, out of all things, which I don't really care too much about, um, I felt like I strained a peck in the shoulder and thought it would go away. I pulled out from Dallas, um, thought it would go away, and a little more serious than expected, sadly. So we'll see how it progresses. Before we get into it with Noah, just a bit of housekeeping. Our Solinko Pro Player Sponsorship Package is in full effect. We are giving away Solinko's bag, their Hyper-G strings, and grips in an incredible package. Follow us, like our latest tweet or Instagram post, and tag a friend to register. And trust me, if you win this contest, you'll never lose on the court again. Also, thank you to everyone for your support so far. Our numbers are strong and they're growing, but we'd like to see them grow more. So if you can spread the word and subscribe, that would be amazing. All right, Noah Rubin. So so our show is typically five sets, but when we're on the ground talking with players on tour, we cut it to three. On the first set, we talk about your life on the tour and, and beyond. We call this the Players' Lounge. <laughs> um, first of all, you won Junior Wimbledon. I did. When does it get better from there? I mean, that's got to be an incredible moment in your career. You had an illustrious junior career. 
think, honestly, I don't think I get as much credit. I think people forget because I went to school after it. And I think once you go to school, everything gets kind of pushed to the side. So a lot of the top juniors that, you know, went pro after, you know, they're seeing the contracts, the deals, they're still in the limelight. You know, once you go to college, you're kind of out of the limelight. But tell us about you. You played Le Petit A. You got to oh, the finals. Yeah. Le Petit oh, back in the day. But yeah. I'm saying you like you like really played. Yeah, like, I played all the way through. Uh, you know, the first first was Coupe LeBlanc. Was the uh, I was 11. It was a 12 and under World Championships, and I won that. Coupe LeBlanc, the White Cup. Yeah, and then and then obviously yes, going to La Petit A, lost in the finals uh, to Quinn and Halise, and then yeah, all the way through getting my career high when I was 15 years old, I believe. I was sixth in the world at that point. Um, I, didn't ha- I didn't have my career high. I actually got into Wimbledon when I was 18 on my ATP ranking. Um, they had this thing where you get a wild card if you're high enough and, and, and to qualifying. So I got in, qualified for Wimbledon, and then won it that year. Uh, pretty incredible experience. So you you got wild card into junior Wimbledon. Into junior Wimbledon, you played qualities. Yeah. junior, and then you won the whole thing. And then won the whole thing. Did you beat any na- uh, notable people? Every American tennis player. <laughs> uh, round of 16 was Francis Tiafo. Um, then I play Taylor Fritz in the semis and then play Stefan Kozlov in the finals. So Damn, it, was, no. it was an American show off that whole, that whole time. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have any, it was just with my father. We went one day before the qualifying. I never was a fan of grass. And then that was it. But then you went to Wake Forest. Yes. Um, that makes you a demon deacon. It is that right? It does make me a demon deacon. Yes. Uh, I won't speak about that mascot, but yes, it does. Why is the mascot a uh, is the mascot a, a, a deacon is kind of like a preacher. I mean, I'm Jewish. It's like this whole thing, but uh, a little culture shock over there. But I enjoyed my time for the year. So, but you only did a year there. Only did a year there. And then you just turned pro. Then turned pro. I, you know, I felt like I got what I needed out of it. Um, What'd you get out of it? That was an interesting college tennis. Yeah, I think I progressed and I really found out what I wanted out of tennis. I really found out how much I wanted to become a pro. You seeing these other guys progressing while I was still playing college matches. I, I really wanted to get out there and show what I had. And, you know, I think I got, you know, the mentality of a lot of college players and not even players, the people wasn't conducive, you know, to a professional career. You know, you have these college kids messing around all the time, and that's not really what I wanted to. Hang on a second. Myself. So your your position is is that the the even the elite college experience is not as conducive to going pro. I think if you're if you're immature, you should go to school. I know it sounds weird because yes, you can get lost throughout the whole um, college process, but at the same time, it could also mature you and and get you into this time management where you have to go to class, you have to work out, you have to, you know, play tennis. And I think I already had that. I think I was very independent and pretty professional as it was. So I think a year was um, was all that was uh, needed for me. Now, is it true, is it official that you are, you are a product of the John McEnroe program or is that just, is that a half-truth? <laughs> oh, um, I think I would like to say I'm more a product of Lawrence Klager and my father than anything else. So Who's that? Lawrence Klager was my coach for from seven years old to 18 and still helps me. He was at my match yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and where's, who, who's he? We don't know about this guy. Yes, too. so he, so my father taught me how to play when I was very young and then said he needed extra help when I was about seven and brought me to sport time. Sport time was the clubs that John McEnroe eventually took over half of the clubs. Um, but throughout the time, I was with Lawrence Klager. I mean, he was the one 
um, that really. But did you did you go over to that Roosevelt Island situation? Randall's you, Island. You, Randall's Island. So you I, practiced the, there. Randall's no. Island. I only started there when I was about four, 15. A little bit when I was fourteen, I guess fifteen. So I was doing eight years though. Eight years of my junior career was just Lawrence, and then mostly still just Lawrence. I mean, John and, tried to help me out here and there. But it wasn't generally that much. speaking. It you really, had a whole nother program. It really wasn't that much. It was it was Lawrence yeah. Klager um, who yeah. really hammered it out until I had some help from Stanford Boster, who was part of the USA, and now my coach Carlos Bonatsky, who I took private. And now, are you have you did you receive significant uh, assistance and help throughout your career from the USTA, or is that not really something that happened either? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've had a, a long winding career, as you know, most tennis players can attest to with the USTA. Um, but they definitely did help me. You know, they took me to La Petite They took me to Coupe Blanc. Yeah, so, so they, you're in their program. So I was definitely getting help. They were disappointed that I wasn't moving to Everett's Tennis Academy or UST at the time. In Is Boca. that what they tried to do? They tried to get you to get into their program? I think that was my, that was my number one concern. And that was, that's the number one thing that I try to tell people still to this day is, yes, UST has everything you need and, but it still doesn't always behoove you to, you know, be a part of their program. They try to get everybody in, under one roof. And some people like to be in Dallas. Some people like to be in California. I know I like to be in New York. And obviously, it's not always outside. But it's much more important for me to have the people I trust around me, to have what I feel comfortable, and then to use them when I can and when I need, you know, red clay courts or I need to be around the people um, that they have there. But. You know, it's not always ideal to take 12-year-olds out of their school and home and their parents and and, uh, and have them play seven hours a day. So Noah I, Rubin doing it a different <laughs> style, right? You have a different style. I always go against the, you know, against the grain, against the uh, current. So that's just been my, you know, I'm not... I'm not one to not speak up. I'm always willing to share my thoughts. And you're 23 now. Almost 23. Almost 23. Even though you know you've posted some impressive wins, you've beaten John Isner. Um, you've you worked yourself while you've you played you played uh, main draw French Open. Um, you know you've had some results, but I think you'd agree it probably hasn't been oh, there. 100 percent. Yeah, it's not nowhere near where I want to be. I'll start with the excuses. I mean, I I was out for the first two years on tour. Um, last year was my third year. So the first two years, um, the first year I was out five months. Second year I was out six months. Hurt. Hurt. Injury, not What playing. was your injuries? Um, the first one, I twisted an ankle, stupidly running, just jogging, and just went over. Oh, come on. I know. I wish I could tell you something. <sighs> and I thought it was fine, and, oh, my and it just God. wasn't improving. So and, then both, what, and what's the other one? And the other one, I was playing in Houston at the ATP. I qualified for the ATP there. Um, and a uh, Nicholas Kicker drop shot at me in the third game and stuck into the ground, went over right on my wrist. And that was a six month injury. You fell? Fell right on my wrist. And, <laughs> you know, I'll actually Amazing. probably, you know, I've spoke out about this before and I'll probably be playing the tournament this year again, but um, the tournament and the courts are not up to par. I mean, we got people out three times before the fourth game when Wait, I fell. This is where? Houston, beautiful country club. What, the green clay? The red clay. Oh, no, they the changed red, it to red. It's like fake red clay. That's a famous... Uh, yeah, that's the River Oaks. River Oaks. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. But the courts are no good. No good. Jesus. And, you know, it was really it was really embarrassing. You and fell. 
and I fell right on my wrist, and I was out for about six months. And then, so. But now you're. But, but generally speaking, you've been healthy. Right. But last year was my first full year of health on tour. Okay. It was my first full year of really seeing what I had. And you know, towards the end of the, you know, I was actually tired. I mean, I didn't. I, it was my first year playing that many matches, having a good summer, and I think it really waned on me. And to you know, to have that momentum a little bit from last year and being healthy which is why I'm so concerned about my arm right now, but to hopefully keep that going and really figure out my game. I mean, the only way to figure out who you are is to kind of play consistently. I play matches. You know, a lot of the guys, yes, there's a lot of guys younger than me that are already made it, but, you know, you're looking at some of these guys, and I'm not saying I would be right where they are, but, you know, God willing, they've been injury-free for four years on tour. One, because they turned pro when they were 17, so even if they're 21, they've been playing four years on tour, they've been healthy, you know, most of these guys I haven't seen have a really, so I've been dealing with a lot of tough moments and trying to, you know, make sure I take care of myself, but they've been freak injuries. So I think with the, um, some of the ATP success I've had last year, I know I can play with anybody in the world and, you know, hopefully I build upon it. Yeah, you got to do that, man. Let's yeah. go. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now listen, um, who's out on tour right now that's caught your eye? Tennis-wise. Yeah. Tennis-wise, I mean, uh, Demon R has been one that, you know, I've played twice now, have, have had two tough matches. Last one was about two years ago, 7-6 and a third. Um, he's good, huh? Yeah, I mean, he's a good player, and I think we have, you know, a decent amount resemblance. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure if he's heard it, but I've heard that we have similar speed on court, and, and, and kind of he's excelled a little more. Obviously, he's, he's done incredibly well, so to have that is, uh, to have somebody like that to, you know, not look up to because... Do you like him? I do like You're him. Bullish on Demon Hour. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? Uh, there's a billion different players, but a uh, decent amount of young guys. Great to see Foe coming up and playing great tennis. And uh, obviously, I, I practice with him sometimes, so it's good to see him doing well. He's the real thing, huh? I guess we'll see, but yeah, seems like it. I have a question uh, for you about behind the racket. Behind the racket. Noah, for, for our listeners, has an incredible new initiative on his Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, everything. Twitter, Facebook. <laughs> yes. But it's really an Instagram, Instagram thing. Base, yes. It jumps off on Instagram. Yes. It's called Behind the Racket. Tell us what that is. Yes. Uh, one of my best friends came up to me and said, things have to change. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I was like, I need to interview you. You know, 90% of these interviews, I'm hearing about your forehand. I don't care about your forehand. You know, we need to get more into this. We need to get to nuts and bolts. You know, and it really dawned on me that I have to use my reach for something bigger. I have to use it you know, to really get something out of the tennis world, to bring the awareness back to tennis players. And, you know, I was pretty outspoken that a lot of tennis players are one-dimensional, but I'm finding out myself even that everybody has a story, everybody has some challenges they've overcame. I mean, we have a truly unique group of athletes, and I, I just want to bring awareness to that, and I want to bring the human interest stories back to tennis. And so you're basically, you take a photo <laughs> of the player, or the person, right? Yes. To play, but they're, so, so it's players. They're all players, yes. All players. Tell us what you do. You take yes, a photo. so, you know, everything kind of came to me, the whole idea of behind the racket, and the kind of like, you know, it's more to them, and, you know, having this racket in front of their face, showing that, you know, they're usually just this tennis player, and people only see the surface, but there's more to it. So I came up with the idea. I'm kind of basing it a little bit off Humans of New York, the Instagram. I'm not sure if many people have about 10 million followers, and just trying to find out everybody's story. That's kind of the basis. So then basically you, you recorded an interview. Right, yes. I either recorded, I, I um, you know, if it's really time consuming, then I get them to message me and I get them on the phone and record them from the phone. Um, 
But yes. And then you transcribe it and you take a right. chunk of it and you drop it down right, onto and the... I show my girlfriend and best friend and we kind of go through it and, and look at the best paragraphs that would be most interesting. And then I give them the final okay of the of the final product. Um, you know. And by the way, everybody, it's great. It's great. <laughs> I love it. It's great. You got to take a look at it. No notes, man. It's great. No, I appreciate that. You know, it's been extremely receptive, and I think. What are some of the what are some of the like real meaningful things you've learned? I mean, you know, you're going through a lot of these guys. I mean, whether it's Ernesto Escobedo talking about um, his stutter, or Jamie Loeb talking about second right, round right. of Indian Wells when her mom had a, a stroke and she had to go home, or you know, Nathan Pasha, you know homeless, living out of his car for some period of yeah. time, you know, during tournaments. And, and it's just, everybody has a story and everybody's going through tough times and, and just learning the challenges and, you know, truly incredible people. And I want to bring that, you know, that grit and feel and people have people to root for now in tennis and I'm getting so many messages and it's, it's really incredible. So I have a, you know, ATP and Tennis Channel really helped growing the sport that just started, you know, posting my stuff on their account, and I'm really trying to get this, you know, out there. Hey, man, you got um, followers here. Uh, we love it, and uh, I think you're doing something meaningful and cool, so uh, congratulations on that. Keep going on that. I really appreciate it. This is our second set. We call it the 10-ball scramble. Okay. It's simply word association. We don't do oh, a deep geez. dive. Oh, jeez. No, 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 no. Take it, <laughs> I mean, come on, it's tennis. I mean, it's just tennis. <laughs> I preface this. I'm so bad at these, it's scary, but let's go. Favorite player? Ooh, favorite player, Roger Federer. Growing up, your favorite player is Roger Federer? Growing up, favorite player, James Blake. Why? Oh, God, I just always loved his forehand. Just his demeanor on the court, always is somebody I looked up to. Favorite tournament? Indian Wells. Favorite court? Red Clay. Like, is there a one court oh, in the world court. you love that you always play well on? Or uh, Rod Laver Arena right now. Why is that? When I played Federer, I had some incredible moments there. Had a few set points. Obviously, didn't convert, but, you know, incredible memories. College tennis. What about it? What do I feel? Uh, an incredible atmosphere playing the dual matches. Always a fun time. Larry Ellison. Larry Ellison. I don't know him that well, I mean. <laughs> Did you have any thoughts about him? I mean, it seems like he's becoming, uh, yeah, fastly becoming the, one of the more important people in the sport. Yeah, I think he's uh, really creative in the way he goes about things, and, and it's a necessity for tennis to change, so. USTA. Uh, helpful, and, and always been a part, and I think the mentality is changing, and, and it will continue to grow. The ATP. Uh, working their asses off and, and trying to get tennis into the public's eye, and I think there should be new initiatives, and they're, they're really trying to get it up. Appearance fees? Uh, yeah. I, I think they're great if you can get one. <laughs> Prize money? <laughs> Needs to increase. <laughs> you think that there's a the disparity for the, the guys that are low, it's a little bit too much? Yeah, I mean, if you're 150 in the world, you should be making bank. And I use that term loosely, and uh, but yeah, I should be making a lot of money. I mean, any other profession. I mean, if you're 150, I mean, there's probably 150 people in this room right now. So. Let's move into our, our third and final set. We call this the king of the court. Basically, it's like if you were the king of tennis, yes. how would you do it? Um, Listen, because of your junior background and you're an illustrious junior, you had an incredible career, and the fact you played college tennis, you know, we know 
that cheating in junior and college tennis in particular is an out-of-control problem. <laughs> um, I haven't posed this question uh, in quite some time. I think the last time I did was to Brad Gilbert uh, on our first show 19 or 20 shows ago. But my question is, if you were the king of tennis, yes. what would you do about this out-of-control cheating in tennis? Um... Juniors, actually spoke about this a decent amount, and juniors, I think the problem with cheating stems a lot from the parents. I think the parents put this tremendous effort, and I've called you know, the police on numerous people because of abuse. Um, you know, if you have, if you whoa, know. Whoa, what do you mean you called the police? You know, we've seen, my father and I and other players have seen, you know, parents in the parking lot going 90 miles per hour screaming at their child, or they're taking them back, and, and then there's countless times where you see children crying. And you know, if you know that you're, you know, you're possibly going to be, you know, whatever the parents it is, are putting so much pressure, so much the kids pressure are on cheating. The kid, you know, I'm going to cheat too. If I know I'm going to go home and get absolutely screamed at, possibly hit, who knows what takes place behind the closed doors? Then you know, I'm going to cheat as well. But what would you do to uh, if you could like just wave a scepter? <laughs> what would you do about about it? I mean, any other sport has referees, chair umpires. You go to a junior tournament, you know, unless it's the top junior tournaments, there's no line judges. There's one roaming umpire. Who's heard of a roaming umpire for six courts? I mean, but, but you know, you're, you're not wrong. It comes from the parents. Of course it does. Of course Parents need to knock that crap off, man. I've they seen do. some horrible cheating. Oh, my God, it's enough. But, I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen what happens when the kid loses, so I understand the cheating. But, yes, I mean, college, you know, they do it for the school, and that has to stop, too. They're, you know... They're a part of a bigger picture. You can, I mean, then, you know, it goes online anyway, so I don't know why you do it. My man, uh, first of all, take care of that shoulder. I will. Uh, Thank we'll you. see you uh, down the road. We appreciate your time. We love the uh, behind the racket, and uh, you are released. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Cool, man. Thank you so much. All right. Huge thank you to Noah Rubin. Check him out at Behind the Racket on Instagram. Twitter and Facebook. Thank you to the ATP and all the folks at the New York Open. And thank you for listening and spreading the word. Please continue to tell your friends, your tennis coaches, the lift drivers, etc., etc. And let us know what you think. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At UR with CS is our Twitter handle. Underreview Tennis is our Instagram and Facebook. Our producer is Scott Tuft, and our music is by Brian Senti. Jason Binnick did our mix. We'll be back next time with former world number one, four-time Grand Slam winner, Jim Courier. To make sure you don't miss it, click on subscribe. And while you're there, please rate and review us. We can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Until then, I am Craig Shapiro, and you are released.